Colonel Grossman, I want to thank you for uh, for being on our uh, our show today. Obviously, uh, you're one of our major keynote presenters at our annual conference. It's our 69th annual conference that we're holding in Monterey, California. Uh, you're going to be speaking about the uh, the bulletproof mine, which I think is vitally important under the current circumstances. I've seen your presentation uh, several times in my career. I would have to say, and, and Damon could probably concur. You know, over the last couple years, and resiliency and wellness are vitally important uh, considering what's been happening in America. Based on what you're seeing and um, obviously presenting at our conference, maybe you can just briefly talk and, and sort of hype up uh, your presentation for us in, in Monterey of, of what to expect. You bet. Hey, Ryan and Damon, I'm honored to be a service to you all here. And uh, as you know, my stuff is always progressing. Uh, uh, new books out uh, uh, on a steady basis, uh, new research, uh, uh, you know, my scholarly credentials, uh, the books and uh, and the articles in scholarly journals, encyclopedia entries, they continue, presentations in scholarly conferences. But I try to bring all that together for our law enforcement officers and, uh, and uh, so many different new dynamics that we're bringing into play. Uh, one thing to understand, uh, I, I just what I tell people, if you take nothing else away from my conference, remember this how desperately the world needs what you have to give. And here's the key point. Medical technology is holding down the murder rate. Over any period of time, counting the murder rate becomes invalid because the docs are saving ever more lives. With a great UMass Harvard study that came out uh, in the the early, early 2000s, told us between the 1960s and the 1990s, medical technology had cut the murder rate to a third or a quarter what what it would otherwise be. That is, to compare the murders in the 90s to the 60s, you had to multiply by a factor of about four. You know, we all understand inflation and minimum wage. You know, look how much more money you're making today. You make $15 an hour and your grandfather made a nickel an hour. Look how good off you are. Well, we all know that's bogus because of inflation. Well, the same thing is true with comparing murder rates over a period of time. To compare the murder rates between today and the 60s, we got to multiply by a factor of around 10. Tourniquets alone, cops all carry a tourniquet. EMS carries a tourniquet. We slap on a tourniquet, we save a crime victim's life, we prevented a murder. Tourniquets alone have absolutely cut the murder rate at least in half in just the last decade, and probably more than that. And we'll talk about that. We'll lay that out. So with all that said then, in 2020, homicides were up 30%. Annual increase in homicides up 30%. The highest we have ever seen is 12.5% one year in the 1960s. So that's what, almost three times more than anything we've ever seen? No. To compare the murder rate today with the 1960s, we have to multiply by a factor of about 10. 2020 
was at least 20 times worse than anything we have ever seen. And everything tells us 2021 is going to be even worse. And we know where it's coming from. A great article by, uh, by Heather McDonald in the Wall Street Journal. Heather McDonald wrote a book called War on Cops, and every cop should read it and understand it. But she says in the Wall Street Journal, without a doubt, this explosion of violence in 2020 was as a result of the defund the police movement and the George Floyd riots. The George Floyd riots have done more property damage in inflation-adjusted dollars than any riots in the history of our nation. Did you see that on the news every day? Did you see those people being hauled off into jail every day though? <laughs> no, not to a very large degree. This, this breakdown of the dynamic that says the cops are the bad guys and the crooks are the good guys is just about one of the most destructive things that any civilization could possibly embrace. So what does that mean to us now? Just right up front, just quick and furious. What's that mean to us? Violence exploded in 2020, 20 to 30 times worse than anything we've ever seen in 2021 is even worse. It's compound interest, it's stacked on top of that. What's that mean to us? The world desperately needs what you have to give. These are the worst of times or the best of the times. Your courage and your competence and your compassion shine bright for the darkness of this hour. You know, I'm 65 years old. I retired from the Army 24 years ago. I've now been out doing this on the road over 200 days a year for 24 years, longer than I've spent in the Army. A young private, a young buck sergeant coming up through the ranks, lieutenant colonel. And it's my prayer I can do this for another 20 years. Waiting at home for me is my bride at 46 years, my high school sweetheart. Uh, I tell people she was 15. I, I was... Uh, I was 17 when I proposed to her. We, we are from Arkansas. Two years later, she'd married a crazy army paratrooper and she'd been in this road with me for 46 years. I love her more than life itself. And yet for the last 24 years, I'm on the road over 200 days a year. I get home one, maybe two nights a week, a conjugal visit, clean underwear, back on the road. Why? Because I love my children. I love my grandchildren. I love my nation. I love my God. And every day that I have the health, and every day that somebody wants to hear what I got to give, I'm gonna walk out that door and give it, because I love my nation. And as we love our community, as we love our nation, as we love our family, this is the time to walk out that door and give 100%. Do you abandon your family in their darkest hour? Do you abandon your children when they become sick? No. If you had a sick child, you'd, you'd empty the bank account, you'd start a Kickstarter fund, you'd ask for help. You, you'd one of your, you or your spouse who quit their job to stay with the child full time. That's, that's what love means. And, and, and it was in 1776 that Thomas Paine wrote about this. He said, these are the times that try men's souls. It was one of the darkest hours of, of the American Revolution. These are the times that try men's souls. Stop, your soul is on trial. These hours are judging us, whether we stand firm and strong, we believe in who we are and believe in what we do in this dark hour. He said, the sunshine soldier and the summer patriot will shrink from their duty in this dark hour. Are we sunshine soldiers? Are we summer patriots? Do we, do we leave when things get bad or do we get, get determined to give it all we got? He said, we have this constellation. Here's the payoff, are you ready? <laughs> the, more, the more difficult the battle, 
the more glorious the victory. And there is glory and there is honor for those who man the ramparts of our civilization in this dark and desperate hour. We'll talk about the defund of the police movement. They have completely imploded. They, no politician is embracing them. Uh, it's U.S. Senate voted 99 to zero. That was really a non-binding vote, but it's symbolically 99 to zero, the U.S. Senate voted to pull federal funds from any municipality that supports defund the police. Uh, Senator Cory Booker, black Cory Booker, uh, black uh, senator, was attacked by the by the, the the Black Lives Matters. Nobody's got our back in Washington. Well, Black Lives Matter and defund the police are two completely different things. But if you embrace defund the police, you're in a losing position today. And again, read Heather McDonald's book, uh, uh, War on Cops. Understand where we're at right now. There's so much more to teach. Working with people with masks and how we've got to overcome that that communication barrier and tools that we can use. Latest research on sleep. And truly, this is the critical area where we can make the greatest difference right now. Sleep-deprived people out there are doing enormous harm to themselves, and they're destroying their families, they're destroying their lives, and, and they're doing stupid stuff. The number one impact of sleep deprivation is impaired judgment. And we'll talk about the latest research on that. We'll talk about how to get healthy sleep. We'll talk about good management of your resources. Uh, there's so much more that we'll cover in your latest research. And of course, the baseline stuff. I was a keynote speaker of the first Department of Defense-wide Resiliency Conference. I was the opening speaker of the second DOD-wide Resiliency Conference. Resiliency is a term we use for people who do not get PTSD. I call it the bulletproof mind. Military calls it resiliency. And in the midst of, of, of darkness, there are those who, who, who are, are able to transcend it and get through it and be stronger from the experience. We talk about post-traumatic stress. Far more important is post-traumatic growth. And so understand that we can come out these times stronger and, and better prepared. Understand that these are dark and desperate times, but your courage and your honor and your confidence shine bright for the darkness of the hour. And, uh, and we'll talk about that and so much more, the nuts and bolts that everybody needs to know. How in the world could we have had 700 years of gunpowder combat and not let people know about auditory exclusion? By the way, the shots get muted, tunnel vision, uh, a slow motion time, uh, memory gaps, memory distortions. I, I'll give you an amazing new example of a police officer who suffered a memory distortion and why. And what it means and how these things can happen. We've got to know these things and how they can turn into PTSD and I'll prevent that and turn it into post-traumatic growth. One of the great revolutions in the medical community, uh, we, we talk about what's going on, what happened, and every time the individual starts to become emotional, every time they start to associate the memory with the emotions, the sympathetic nervous system kicks in. We'll talk about that. We make them stop. Take a big swig of water. And taking that swig of water is a powerful tool that says we're safe. It pulls you from sympathetic to parasympathetic processes, and it calms you down. And it allows you to separate the memory from the emotions. A friend of mine who's one of our nation's leading therapists for, for federal agents, she, uh, she talked about how she debriefs them now with that bottle of water in front of them. Every time they start to become emotional, they stop, take a swig of water, and from the very beginning, separate the memory from the emotions. And, uh, and she told me, she said, she said uh, six years of college, 
14 years of practice and that stupid bottle of water is doing more good than I've ever done. So these are the kind of little nuts and bolts tools you can put in your toolbox and walk out the door with them and apply immediately. Understanding how your body and other people's bodies respond right off the part. I just did a podcast with a, a paramedic in Australia. And uh, he'd listen to my, the water thing on a podcast. And he said, well, I'll, I'll give it a try. He said, this one guy was just irate and out of control and, and overwhelmed. And what are you going to do about it? He said, here, drink this bottle of water. What? Yeah, drink this bottle of water. Oh, okay. Whew. It was all better. <laughs> he said, it was amazing. Just simple nuts and bolts things that we can apply. And that's just the beginning of the list. Uh, and, uh, you know, there, there's so much out there and, and uh that we've got to grasp and apply to this profession. This really is an amazing profession. People talk about, about changing law enforcement. Law enforcement is changing every day. They desire above all else to be good at what they do, to do it right, to do it safe, to save lives. Ain't nobody in this job just for the money. If you're here for the money, you're in the wrong job, you know, at least legally, right? Yeah, so absolutely. we're gonna talk about uh, motivation and application, but in the end, the baseline of, of resiliency, the bulletproof mind, is motivation. To know that you're sacrifice. And when you chose to be a police officer, you chose a life of sacrifice. You never get stinking filthy American dream rich, at least not legally. To know that your sacrifice is for a noble and worthy purpose. And so that's just kind of a nuts and bolts uh, uh, precursor trailer of, of what's coming down the road. I'm eager to be a service, magnificent uh, men and women who, uh, who man the ramparts of freedom in this dark and desperate hour. Uh, and uh, Ryan and Damon, uh, that's kind of a, kind of the turn the fire hose on for 60 seconds there. Uh, any thoughts or questions? Definitely. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we appreciate uh, what you do. Uh, I've, I've seen your presentation more than once myself, and obviously it's constantly evolving just like our profession is. And I think in this day and age with kind of all the negativity out there over the last couple of years and the way the media has really portrayed us uh, uh, unfairly, in my opinion, I, I think it's important for our membership to hear folks like yourself who talk about resiliency and give those things, those little tools, if you will, to kind of help them get through their day and, and get through this career healthy. Uh, and it's important because mindset is is huge in this profession, it, it, whether you're working on the street or you're dealing with the uh, the insanity of the legislature like Brian and I do, um, having a proper mindset is is huge. And what you bring to the table is, is, uh, is paramount. And uh, we do appreciate what you do for the profession and not just for law enforcement, for our military, for everyone out there who could use this. So thank you. Thank you. And you know, it really is. There, there's only one one thing in the universe we can control, it's ourselves. And, and if we give way to bitterness, if we give way to cynicism, if we give way to complacency, then that's one thing we can control. And, and we've given the world that victory, and we will not give them that victory. And I know the attacks that law enforcement are suffering. I'll give you one example. You know, I, I've been doing this for 24 years. By almost any measure, I'm probably America's number one law enforcement trainer, just by virtue of doing it so long, so much. And this community, if something gets you killed, you drop it like a hot rock. It gets the acid test every day. If something works, you embrace it. It's been such an honor to be a service to cops for so long. But as America's number one law enforcement trainer, by, by, by most measures, I've also been the number one target for defund the police and Antifa. 
how do you deal with these attacks? I posted on my, my LinkedIn page, go to the articles and dig deep in, you'll find where I posted some of the threat letters I got from these guys. I mean, they'll just blow your mind, the sick, sick stuff these guys are saying, you know? Well, how can you deal with that? I'll give you an example now. I, I can't control the fact that they send an email like that. I can only control how I respond to it. They want to hurt me with that email. They want me, they want me to be hurt by that and, and, and frightened by that. So I, I've got some candies that I let myself have a couple of I stay pretty lean and mean for 65, you know, but you get a few treats in there. And I get one of those letters, I, I, I get a piece of candy. And, and they say, we tell you how evil you are and you get a chocolate covered cherry. Yeah, that's right. So, so who wins now? You know, there's only one thing in the universe you can control. And it's how you choose to respond to these things. You cannot impact those things. All you can control in all the world is yourself. And so when, you know, I tell people, I have a little bag of Tootsie Rolls in the car. You know, they, they really are, they, they last for a long time, you know, and they don't melt in the heat very much, you know. And when somebody gets in your face, you tell yourself, you know, when I get back to my car, I'm going to have a Tootsie Roll. And take what they meant for evil, what they meant to harm you, and turn it into something good. There's only one thing in the universe we can control this ourselves. And so we'll talk about that. We'll apply all of that. And that gets back to, to what you guys have been facing in California. God bless you. You're truly in the, in the front lines of freedom. Uh, the violence of the Old West is a Hollywood myth. Off the top of my head, I'll introduce you to a dozen cops of more gunfights than White Earp ever dreamed of. Uh, and you're a man in these ramparts in these crazy times, in this lawless age. Uh, and, and so, uh, God bless you. And I can imagine what it must be like in, in the leadership as you're trying to influence the, uh, the legislature. I'm such a fan of what Porak is doing and the positive influence you can have. I, I think a lot of your members don't really fully understand how you're fighting for them out there every day in the legislature and how frustrating that must be. And God bless you. And thank you for doing that. Well, thanks again, uh, Colonel, for being on. And uh, I want to thank you, uh, first and foremost, for your service to the country. Uh, Damon and I also both served, except we're in the Navy. Go Navy this year. Uh, and also, I want to thank you for all of the work that you've done over the last 24 years in regards to resiliency and wellness. As you've stated so eloquently over these last, uh, uh, while we've talked, it, you know, it's so vitally important that we focus on ourselves and our health and our well-being. So really looking forward to having you at conference, excited to meet you again in person. And uh, thanks again for coming on there. And I'll see you in a few weeks here in Monterey. God bless you, gentlemen. And God bless America. Thank you, sir. Well, I want to welcome uh, Sergeant John Davis from the Ohio State Troopers to our segment here, and we want to welcome him to the PORAC Annual Conference of Members here in Monterey. And uh, welcome for being here, and uh, we're glad that you're going to be here talking about uh, use of force and how that affects our profession. So what? Uh, tell us a little bit about the class that you'll be bringing to us. Man, uh, legally justified, but was avoidable. It's uh Probably one of the, I feel one of the most exciting classes uh, we teach with Caliber. Uh, it's 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 a class that's going to have the room talking. I can tell you that much. Uh, we I've taught now uh, this class quite a few times all over the country uh, with just and it's not me. It's the class that brings us the uh, the, the feedback that we get. Uh, but this class is going to get bring up a lot of discussion. Uh, we're going to look at how we've done stuff over the past in law enforcement. 
when it comes to the mistakes that we made, that's the hard thing to talk about uh, in law enforcement it's mistakes that we've made uh, and how we're actually correcting those. So uh, with this class, it's going to, uh, we're going to take a hard look at that. We're going to take a look at our tactics, how we're handling things, um, how we handle stress. And, it, you know, we're going to, we're going to break these incidents down and go with it in class and get opinions from everybody in the room and get them talking and it'll be a good time. So in all the the time that you've been teaching, do you feel that it's been a slow evolution to where we've gotten to, or is this something that's happened quite rapidly that you've seen? You know, in my time in law enforcement, I've been in full-time just at, at that 20-year mark now, but I've been around it. Uh, my dad was a cop for 30-some years. Uh, so I've been around this, I mean, for 40-plus years, I've been around law enforcement. My whole family's cops. Um and we're, we're, we're on a change uh, in law enforcement to this day. Uh, I, I tell people, you know, people in their worst moments deserve nothing but our best at that time when we show up on a call. And at times this job, this job can add that stress to us that we go from one call where we're dealing with just, you know, somebody yelling in our face and doing this to the next call to where it's, you know, maybe we're dealing with another completely different incident, but we're still carrying that stress and tactics from that first call over. And it's time that we, we got to look at the way we've been handling some business. This isn't, this class by no means bashes cops. Uh, you know, I jokingly say with my wife around, even, you know, I love cops more than I love my wife. Right. I want to make sure everybody makes it home, but not only just making it home, but you got to be able to survive this career. You got to survive 24 seven for 30 years of not only the, the, the physical attacks, but the mental attacks that this job does. And, you know, dealing with that from these classes, these, these issues that we discuss is, you know, going to be a different new light a way we handle stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, officer wellness is something that uh, finally, I think is becoming more on the forefront. I think it was always kind of a secondary issue for organizations and leadership. Um, even our legislature is starting to kind of focus on it a little bit and realizing that, you know, if you don't have a healthy uh, law enforcement group, then, then they're not going to do the job the right way. And, uh, you know, change is part of the job. It's just how we handle that. And uh, having the right mindset is, is huge. Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, it, it's uh, quite honestly, it's unfortunate, but uh, you know, all, all day today, prior to this, uh, now I'm working on a funeral for an officer here in Ohio who, you know, unfortunately couldn't deal with the stress uh, and ended it himself. And, you know, that's not what all this class is about, but does it touch on the fact that, you know, due to some of, you know, the issues that we have and we see throughout this job, it does play into the stress. It does play into how we respond to people uh, and how we allow the, that to sometimes take over. You know, we say in class, you know, you, it's not the inability to handle, it's just inability to handle stress at pivotal moments throughout our career that can make or break us. And I think we're seeing that. We've seen that happen across the country. So a lot of the uh, discussion that you're going to have, um, do you, how much time do you spend on the de-escalation piece of it? I mean, it seems like, you know, one of the things that I, I see from our elected officials is they're very easily willing to blame us for all of our actions, but yet the suspect is, nobody analyzes that person and what they've done and how they've escalated the situation and how we're trying to respond to their resistance, trying to respond to their aggressiveness. Um, but it's always like, well, you're the trained professional, you should have de-escalated. It's like, well, you know, like you said earlier, it, it, these are very tense situations. I would gather to say that by and large, probably 95% of the uh, community never has gone 
gone through any of these experiences, uh, but yet there's this onus on us that we can just magically walk up and de-escalate any situation, which I don't believe is possible. You know, I don't think that really, that's that's not too far-fetched. It is hard for us. Every situation is unique. It's different. Uh, we all carry our own stuff into that situation, our own training. Um, and each, I mean, there's 18,000 law enforcement agencies across this country with 18,000 different ways of training. Um, there, you know, so is there one standard that's going to fit everything? No, what's working in Ohio doesn't necessarily mean that's exactly what it goes in California. The laws are different. The way we got to handle stuff's different. Um, and the people are different. But there's one thing that we all do, um, and I think this is where it comes in. We all, not one of us came into the with this job with the outlook of, hey, we're, we're just here to, you know, mess stuff up and make this worse than what it is. We came in to help people, uh, but we're all human beings. And we sometimes, uh, we do take stuff personally, and we don't de-escalate when we could de-escalate. Um, you know, sometimes we, we talk about, you know, I think, you know, I'd be, I, I can't sit here and lay. I think we've all done this in our career where there was times that, you know, we could have de-escalated the situation, but I'm realistic. Like there's times where I probably escalated it too, just by the simple fact that maybe it was just the way I looked. Uh, maybe it was just my bot, you know, the, the non-verbals that I was giving off to the people that, and like I said, their worst moment. But to me, it wasn't that big a deal. And my nonverbal said that. So we do talk about de-escalation. Um, and de-escalation is nothing more than sitting back going, is there another way of doing this, right? Um, you know, law enforcement and courts are going to look at it through the eyes of, you know, view of, you know, Graham versus Connor. But the general public, and, and I can tell you, I have friends who are like this. The question always is, was there another way? Was this avoidable? And if so, why didn't it go that route, right? Now, not everything's going to be avoidable. Not everything is going to have, you know, what it could go this way, but we can try. And I think that's the way we're going to, that, you know, this class has been, you know, so well received was I've had, I had a cop, it was kind of funny. And I'll tell you real quick, Northern California, and he's, he talked about how he was a training officer and he came to this class with a closed mindset of thinking this was going to be about bashing cops. This was going to be, and he came out and I came up to me on break and he said, you know, this is, this is truly what we need. Um, and, and it's, it's because we, we truly do care about cops. We want to make sure that they're making it home, that they go home to the reasons why, you know, they, you know, want to live every day, the families and stuff like that. So this class is going to touch base on so many different techniques, uh, areas in law enforcement in a short period of time um, that it's going to kind of want to I guess maybe make them stay longer, I guess. Well, very cool. Well, we really appreciate you uh, taking the time with us today to uh, to talk a little bit about what you're going to be speaking at our annual conference of members. So thank you for uh, for participating in this and uh, thank you for coming out to our conference and we look forward to meeting you in person. I look forward to it, guys. I'll see you guys in a few weeks. All right. Take care. Thanks, guys. Thanks, John. That was perfect. ORHAC is California's largest law enforcement organization and the largest statewide association in the nation, representing over 77,000 public safety members since 1953. Our monthly podcasts, as well as past episodes, are available on ORHAC.org, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, ORHAC's YouTube channel, or where popular podcasts are downloaded. Be sure to follow us on all our social media platforms and tag us with your suggestions for future show topics. To learn more about our organization, visit us at ORHAC.org. We are Porak.